It's Monday night, 10 o'clock, and that means a brand new episode of Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. Uh, Tonight we're actually going heavily in the politics with two guests to talk about the Trump resistance, uh, a lot of the the fandoms, creators, um, and and others uh, kind of getting together to uh, oppose Donald Trump in the four years to come. Uh, before I introduce our two guests, I want to uh, say a little bit of a somber thing. A uh, frequent guest of the show, a friend of both myself and Alana, Scott Eric Kaufman, uh, sadly passed away this morning after a uh, long battle. And uh, yeah, the world is just a little bit darker without him. He, we're going to miss his, his witty uh, brilliance. And uh, yeah, just to not be able to talk to him is, yeah. I, I, I'm still kind of wrapping my head around it. Um, he was a, yeah. a good friend of the site, good friend of the show, and um, I'm definitely going to miss him. So I don't, wanna, I don't know if you want to say something. I know you're working on a, a piece specifically about it. but Yeah, I have an obit that will be going up tomorrow, and it's going to include a list of some of my favorite writing that he's done around comics and geek culture. Um, and, you know, he's known like internationally as an expert on the Game of Thrones TV show series, but there's so much amazing comics writing he's done. Like I don't even have to include any of the Game of Thrones stuff in order to put together a really rich syllabus of his work. Um, one of the things I frequently find lacking in a lot of comics criticism is they don't, people don't actually talk about the art a lot. And Scott was a professor of visual rhetoric. So with him analyzing the art and the images itself really came, came first. And, uh, I hope that people who haven't read his work yet will do the opportunity to do so. And, yeah, that will be live on the site uh, tomorrow. And just so, wanted yeah. to give a great big hug and, and wish wish the best for his family and for especially for his frequent collaborator, another friend of the show, uh, Stephen Adewell. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. 2016 is the worst year. It is the worst year. So I'm, I'm – I'm, uh, not the first person to say it, and I'm sure I won't be the last. Yeah, um, 2016 sucks. That's big. Um, uh, John Oliver had it right when he blew up 2016. Um, okay, so going from the downer, uh, we've got two guests. So let me introduce them. Uh, Andrew Slack, who's the co-founder of the Harry Potter Alliance. Uh, um, sorry, odds in our favor. Superman is an immigrant, Rebel Alliance, and now the Hamilton Alliance. He's built a network uh, called Imagine Better. Um, he's a Civic Imagination Fellow at Civic Hall. His work's focused on the use of powerful store, power and stories to unleash civic imagination through a methodology he calls cultural acupuncture. You can follow him at Andrew Slack. And then we have uh, Raphael Shimanov is the creative director at Working Families Party, a growing progressive party that works inside and outside of the Democratic Party by challenging corporate Democrats with progressive Democrats. They've been doing some very interesting things when it comes to culture and creativity. So it's going to be really fun to have them both on. So welcome to the show, and, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. So, yeah, you know, it's everybody's really struggling right now, and I, I, to the point where, you know, I've told people, like, rather than greeting each other with the usual, how are you, which, you know, to which the answer is, like, really rough right now, you know, asking people instead, uh, it's good to see you. So I wanted to start by saying it's good to see both of you, even if I do just mean that by radio. And I wanted to start with talking with you, Raphael. Um, you know, the Working Families is 
really began in New York and has become a much bigger national presence through its work on the fight for 15 to raise the minimum wage, through the Bernie Sanders campaign, and just generally challenging corporate power in political fight. And a number of years ago, how many years ago did you begin working at WSP? Uh, me, two years. Two years uh, ago? A little over A couple two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I'm five a state, friend of mine Two years and five states ago. So there's this uh, rapid expansion. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> five states of the history of the organization. So um, uh, a friend of mine who worked there was saying that you guys were looking to, that they were looking to hire a creative director who would be in charge of making graphics and images. And I just thought, I'm so jealous. I want a creative director too. <laughs> so I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about why does a political organization have a creative director and what kind of things do you do? And then we'll kind of take it from there a little bit about <clears throat> some of the plans that you guys have to help other artists and art other creators get involved in the movement to stop Donald Trump. It's a, I love the job. It was a new position that they created uh, after I applied to another position, which I didn't get. <laughs> and then uh, my boss came and said, you know, we were thinking about this other thing and we think culture and design and art is really important. And I think we could pull it off. Uh, and, and we did it like, uh, there's there's one part of it that helps pay for it, and that's more of like the dark arts of of political mailers, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the other part is also uh, uh, the the kind of light part of it is is connecting with uh, the artist community. And what what I've realized really quick was that that's also the door to all sorts of creatives, where it, it could be programmers and, and illustrators, muralists. Uh, comic book artist, uh, and it's become this this amazing kind of connection for the organization with the creative community. And the value we we see, I guess, like personally, I can say, if you look at when journalists write about or historians when they write real time about things that are occurring around them, and you look back at them five years later, ten, fifty years later you kind of have to like laugh and cry because they're so wrong and they were completely like never really were able to step back and see where they are in the context of history. And I find like the opposite with creatives um, uh, where they're able to convey maybe not often with words, but able to convey exactly where we are. And if you look at art and you look at any kind of creative endeavor that occurred real time during kind of great friction in history, they were spot on. So basically it's not just what an artist or creative person can create. Um, it's, it's, it's about those are the people that are going to, that are going to frame us into the right time and position the entire organization and the entire strategy of an organization in the right context in history. That's really powerful. I mean, you know, we, we everybody sort of talks about activism as if there's just one aspect to it. But one of the things that we're doing, even when we are, you know, taking to the streets, which is something that we are doing now and that we need to do and to do more intens- intensively, is we're also creating visuals that serve a powerful signal to those who aren't in the room, or who can see those and identify with them, be inspired with them. And, and sort of take up 
uh, the movement and join in with them as well. Um, you know, actually, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself because I do want to talk about the parties later. But do you want to give a couple examples of the kind of, of things that you guys are making for the Working Families Party right now? I have a photo that I sent to Brett that he'll be tweeting in a second. That's a, a wall in your offices that <laughs> has um, a lot of the little signs that you guys have made recently, and they, they crack me up every damn time. Um, <laughs> and, you know, with yes. social media, it's, like, really important. So, yeah, like, t- tell us a little bit about them. Well, a lot of it started where we wanted to give people, like at our events, uh, uh, something to like take home with them, like a photo or to, to tweet it socially to talk to their friends about uh, Working Families Party. And uh, what we what we started to do is photo booths. And rather than kind of kind of hipster top hats and mustaches, we decided we should make it political. And uh, we started asking illustrators and, and stuff that. It, if we can use their existing art and kind of hack it a little bit. So there's one image that you're sharing that has uh, just the illustration of Drake. And it just says, make America Drake again. And it doesn't mean anything, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's kind of like caught on and people want it. And they're asking if it's on shirts or there's something about it that is kind of connecting with people and kind of also conveying our spirit and, uh, and, so it started that way, and to the point where I got annoyed a little bit because people were enjoying these photo booths so much that they started requesting them for other organizations, which had nothing to do with us or little to do with us, and uh, or even in opposition to us in some cases. And then just like one morning, something my daughter said or something kind of reframed it in my mind, and, and suddenly I found instead of this annoyance, it was a way in to a lot of other audiences. And so we started like uh, participating and just providing a free photo booth with uh, like, you know, uh, frenemies and, you know, allies and everyone. And it turned out like it just helped create this community because a lot of these signs were kind of short circuiting dialogue and preconceptions and tapping into kind of our shared culture and, and, and created all these conversations and, and uh, showed me the power of, of, of this kind of work. Wow. Um, I mean, I, I know that, you know, politics is kind of needs to riff on popular culture at times in order to find resonance and connect with its audiences. But, you, you know, but you have graphics like the ones that you made for, um, for the Fight for 15, where you basically, which is the fight to raise the minimum wage of $15. It's, really began as a, a fast food worker movement and it's gone through a lot of different kinds of workers who all deserve to be making more than $15 an hour. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, with that, like, there wasn't so much of a particular band or, or pop culture or thing. You were just looking to have a, a powerful but attractive way of showing the notion of raising the minimum wage. And I remember when I, one of the very first things I volunteered on in, in New York, uh, political work was I volunteered on a campaign to raise the minimum wage to seven twenty five an hour, like a bajillion years ago, like a decade ago. And I have zero recollection of what the, <laughs> the imagery was. I feel like there might have been like an equal sign or something. It's all blank to me. But now when I think of the raise like the fifteen, I have yeah. the images like there's a giant glowing number fifteen that marches down the street regularly, which feels very, very mm-hmm. Uh, Sesame Street to me because of the generation I grew up in. 
there's this very beautiful, like, very, like, hand-painted-looking Fight for 15 curlicue letters that you guys have done. You guys have this, like, ironic, um, what's his name, a Ronald McDonald one that you've done. Like, I have a much stronger visual association, and it's like a brand that you can really share with folks. And you guys yeah, for that, we, we worked journey. with uh, Creative Action Network, which is a nonprofit that um, finds artists and then uh, prints T-shirts and prints and then shares the revenue in, like, a co-op model with those artists. So for every, like, $2 that we would get selling one of those shirts that they created, with, you know, with our concepts or with our issues, um, uh, we, they get 50% and creative action gets the remainder to create, to continue these kind of relationships between organizations uh, like Working Families Party and uh, artists. That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, one of the things is, like, I really believe that in the importance of financially reciprocating artists who create work for you because that is their job, and that's labor, and I love that the Creative Artist Network and with you guys are like actually making sure that artists are getting paid fairly. But one of the things that's been really huge that's happened in the immediate out, emotional outpouring that's happened after mm-hmm. Trump uh, winning the Electoral College, I'm not saying winning the election because the motherfucker did not win the election. <laughs> he he no, is he behind by over a million votes. Good God. Yeah. Um, yeah. But um, was that a, a lot of artists and creators and talented people wanted to find ways that they could help out, and people were really coming out of the woodwork wanting to donate yeah. their support and their services. So I would never go to an artist and say to him or her, like, hey, mm-hmm. you want to go work for free? But in a world and time in which artists are coming forward saying, hi, we want to work for free because this is how we <laughs> want to volunteer you know, we think we can be more effective making art for you than we can just, just another set of boots on the ground. Uh, I'm going to say yes, and I'm going to point them yeah. towards places where they can contribute. And, you know, well, and Working Families had a call out to creative artists to uh, help out with their work. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. That's one beautiful thing about creative is when you're paying them the freelance rate, um, versus when they're volunteering. So their freelance rate could be like 50, 60, even $150 an hour. But then when they're volunteering, they volunteer for free when their time is worth a million dollars. Like right now, (laughs) right? Right now, creative creative time, coders, videographers, illustrators, muralists, your time is worth a million dollars to to organizations like ours. And, And now is the time when you're giving it away. And that's like beautiful. And uh, and it's like the direct answer to the model Donald Trump and kind of the cronies that are surrounding him uh, adhere to. And uh, that action itself, I like to, like through our Instagram, we kind of do the behind the scenes of working families as much as possible. And I like to use that to kind of depict those actions. Like we, rather than just showing kind of the artists or the volunteers or door knockers, uh, result of their work, we're showing the process and what they're giving, and and we found that you know just showing that, showing our imperfections, just being you know really genuine, uh, brings us the people we want and turns away kind of the people who aren't really helpful. Um, 
so we did this call because we were getting inundated with these, just like through Facebook messages, Twitter, uh, private messages on, tw- on Twitter and uh, email and people coming into our office just asking, like, how do we help? And uh, they want to help in many ways, phone calls, uh, door knocking, you know, stuffing envelopes, anything, writing. And for, for the creative people, people started forwarding them to me. And I realized we needed an organized way to do this. And I've been, uh, we have a form. It's workingfamilies.org slash creative resistance. Um, and it's part of our bigger, vast program of kind of our positioning with Trump and with Republicans and especially with Democrats that are ready to cut deals with, with them. Um, it's going to mm-hmm. be one of resistance, and it's going to be one of calling home to people who no longer feel that they have a political party as a home or who, who never did and now now might. Um, and it's not necessarily just to creatives, it's to everyone who cares about, you know, uh, their well-being, their own well-being and the well-being of people around them. Uh, so it's, it's basically workingfamilies.org slash creative resistance and there you're going to see a form and it's going to ask if you're you know what your what your expertise is and it's going to ask you to honestly rate yourself you know in in being an illustrator a videographer a photographer a writer a coder a muralist all sorts of of, of creative uh, pursuits and um, having it in this organized way allows me to, to actually just talk one-on-one with with these volunteers and and kind of tell them the story of what we're doing. We're doing a lot of exciting things behind the scenes right now that are going to be launched, uh, that are kind of we're trying to speed up now because of Trump. Uh, no one anticipated his win. Uh, and your help right now is, is like I said earlier, it's worth, it's priceless. Um, and that's basically it. And um, I'm, I'm really enjoying being here because to me I have this kind of mixed feeling about like comic book fandom because I grew up as a huge fan of, of comic books and Sandman and graphic novels and uh, heavy metal and all of these kind of uh, visual even Mad Magazine and until I kind of got I got disenchanted to be honest with the mm-hmm. community when I started to work at uh, Toys R Us when, in college and part time and I, we started, like, getting uh, – we got, like, bribed by, by people to hold on to rare figurines and toys in and, and their, and their best condition. People would – they would have our, the truck manifest with them, and they would know before we did what was coming and what was rare and valuable. And they would uh, basically bribe us, you know, minimum wage workers to, to hold on to them. And eventually like you know we were excited about that because we didn't make a lot of money someone was giving us 20 dollars we held something in the back for them and when they came they had it until like one day with uh tickle me elmo's uh which were in high demand john Gotti jr came yeah john Gotti jr came in we we shut the <gasps> store for him and he started going around he knew exactly what he wanted because he came along with two vans and he went to the back and he, he basically told our manager to give us all of the Elmos that all these parents and, and kids are on, have been on a waiting list for six months for. Uh, he was going to buy them, but they were not his. Like, the, other people's names are on them. And after that moment and what we saw and how we felt after that, 
we kind of looked at what we were doing as not that dissimilar with what he did. And mm-hmm. uh, there was one huge, like, comic book nerd that I love and still talk to to this day. And, and they said, this is not what comics and, and fantasy and science fiction and all this is about. It's, it's, it's about justice. And, and, and they were saying that as we were watching kids come in for the fifth time that week trying to complete their collection and trying to complete their storylines, but they couldn't because that one figure was, you know, just not to be had for them because uh, they weren't kind of bribing and they weren't gaming the system. And we, we decided to just do the opposite and not just be fair. Fair would have been just put, the, put all of them on the rack and just leave them alone. We decided to be just and that was continue to hold those rare ones and wait for those kids to come who had never been able to get it and just give it to them. And the feeling that we had when we, we were just, uh, and the, those kids were smiling and dancing, able to complete their stories and, and rip them out of the box, some of them, and play with them and uh, was something that I, I'll never forget. And it was when I lost faith in kind of comic fandom uh, when I was at my lowest, that, that when I found out what it kind of truly meant and to be here and to, to kind of touch again with that, that community is uh, really heartening to me. And this time right now when we all need a lot more justice. That's excellent. Thank you. Wow. And for me, like, I've been so completely powered by Wu-Tang Clan the past two weeks. <laughs> I realized looking at the graphics that we just tweeted out, the only reason that I think I started thinking about Wu-Tang Clan was because, oh, it might have been partially the Luke Cage soundtrack, but partially because of the, w- the WF uh, Wu-Tang Clan spoof signs all over the office. So, so thank you guys. And um, I want to, yes, I want to uh, bring in our, our, another, our second guest now, uh, Andrew Slack. Um, Andrew and I go back a long ways because um, I was on a panel that he was a guest on. I was moderating it, and as I was introducing him um, on the panel, as I interviewed him to find out what his organization was doing, I just got more and more enthusiastic about it, and I said, you guys are exactly what we need. Um, So that that organization uh, is uh, one of the organizations he founded called the Harry Potter Alliance, which was a organization of Harry Potter fans. And, um, so my, you know, folks who listen to the show probably know that uh, I, I love comics and geekdom, but my, my job is working in progressive politics and in the community organizing. And one of the big questions we always ask ourselves, how do we get people who are not already engaged in activism, who are not already engaged in politics, to get engaged in, in action and activism? And it's always, to me, been about finding people where they are. And where they are is enjoying the media they love and having conversations about the shows they love, the books they love, the music they love, the comics they're reading, and bringing, that, bringing those folks into the fold. And right now, with the real you know, existential horror that a lot of us are facing, we're, we're really turning to the creative forces uh, that we are able to enjoy in books and in movies and stuff, but we also need to be using those skills and that passion to change the real world too. So, Andrew, I want to say hi and thank you for waiting. And um, do you want to give a little bit of uh, an explanation of what the Harry Potter Alliance uh, did so that we can hopefully inspire um, 
folks in other fandoms to start thinking big about what we can do in our own fandoms, and then we'll talk about some of the projects that you guys have going on right now. Sure, yeah. Um, And it's such an honor to be here, so thank you, um, Alana. And I I just signed up to volunteer workingfamilies.org slash creative resistance. I was really inspired by uh, everything that was just said, so I'm I'm, uh, I'm feeling really pumped. Um, thank you. It's really amazing. I, I mean, WFP provides opportunities. I and mean, this is like, I didn't even know this existed as an opportunity that it's just, you just don't see in a traditional, you know, in a traditional two-party structure. And it's like, it's just, and, uh, yeah. So I feel really inspired there. And, um, yeah, to speak to, uh, the Harry Potter Alliance, um, this was started in 2005, uh, when, uh, um, I, w- I was getting a little frustrated by, the fact that my obsession of Harry Potter, I was just completely obsessed for years. Uh, and um, I was frustrated by uh, seeing the fact that there were so many people that were celebrating Harry Potter. And, and it was amazing. Like I had never seen anything like this before. And I, I was like, damn, I can't, I can't believe I missed fandom as a teenager because I was really a part of fandom. Just didn't know that I was a part of fandom. I, I, I didn't, mm. I didn't go to like fan conferences. I didn't, and, and there, there was no internet. Um, I mean, there was, but it wasn't really a big deal yet, and I didn't have access to it yet. Um, so I, you know, I just didn't have those opportunities. And so when I started seeing the Harry Potter fandom, I kind of couldn't believe how many creative outlets there were for people who were largely teenagers, um, although definitely intergenerational, I should add, like people who were much older and people who were in their 20s and 30s and 40s. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was amazed by the whole thing. Um, and... Uh, and yet where I was frustrated was the one piece that was missing. I mean, they had, they had wizard rock, all of this music about Harry Potter and Quidditch and podcasting and conferences and fan art and fan fiction. They did. And they, they even had charity, uh, a little bit of charity, not, not very much. Um, and they did not have activism. And so the question that I posed to the band, Harry and the Potters was, I mean, look, you know, you guys are, you guys play Harry Potter in this punk rock band called Harry and the Potters if Harry Potter were in our world, wouldn't he fight for justice in our world the way he fought for his? You know, in Harry Potter, Harry starts a student activist group called Dumbledore's Army. Let's create a Dumbledore's Army for our world. And they loved the idea. And they and uh, a member of um, my former comedy troupe, Seth Solstein, we, we founded the group together. And in 2005, we launched. And now 11 years later, there's close to 300 chapters across the world in over 30 countries of the, of the Harry Potter Alliance. Um, and it's a unique blend of uh, volunteering and charity, uh, as well as personal empowerment, building safe spaces, building um, a, a work around uh, anti-racism, around recognizing privilege, um, around creative expression, and then also around structural um, activism. And all of this is grounded in the text of Harry Potter. Uh, in terms of like uh, accomplishments, there's there's been a lot of agency that we've given to people and people have taken on their own to become activists. Uh, and in the meantime, we've sent five cargo planes to Haiti. Uh, we've built libraries across the world. We've gotten Warner Brothers uh, to get to make all Harry Potter chocolate fair trade or uh, certified. And, you know, amidst a lot of controversy, uh, we, we did a lot of work on marriage equality, even when it was a little bit more divisive, even in fandom. Um, and then, you know, came out early on, on immigration reform, even when that was divisive, uh, which it still is incredibly divisive, um, and, uh, and have been leaders in uh, trans equality and, and, and all of that. 
So in the meantime, we've, you know, our quirky quest for social justice picked up a lot of media and J.K. Rowling praises in Time Magazine and, and all of that. And, you know, ultimately, I feel that all of these disparate victories, um, some small, some big, um, build an argument that fantasy is not an escape from our world. It is an invitation to go deeper into it. And, uh, you know, we all, when we go to bed, we, we dream, uh, normally at night, uh, for those who aren't working at night, uh, and for those who don't have complete insomnia. Um, but our culture dreams through its books, its TV shows, its movies. Our myths are where we dream. And when we work with those myths, we're doing cultural dream work. And when we're working with the myths that are the most popular, we're doing cultural acupuncture. And cultural acupuncture is finding where the energy is in the culture and moving that energy authentically to create a healthier body for our world with stories and rituals being the proverbial needles. And so that's what we're doing. And uh, I was incredibly inspired in 2008 by a quote that I, I got to see J.K. Rowling um, give a commencement speech at, at Harvard. And she said, we do not need magic to transform the world. We carry all the power we need inside of us already. We have the power to imagine better. So uh, we started a program within the Harry Potter Alliance, or the HPA, uh, called Imagine Better, and I stepped down eventually as executive director, became the director of Imagine Better, and I've since taken Imagine Better out of the organization in order to spread its wings, so it's, it's incubating uh, right now and partnering with the Harry Potter Alliance, uh, and we've worked with other fan communities on a variety of social justice organi- uh, uh, issues, and right now in an era of Trump, I am finding that there is this tremendous um, enthusiasm and desperation um, to do something. And given that the Republicans, the ministry has fallen, you know, uh, Scrimgeour is dead, they are coming, to quote, uh, and, you know, uh, the beginning of Deathly Hallows, um, you know, this is not Cornelius Fudge taking over the ministry, which is book five of Harry Potter. This is Voldemort taking over the ministry. We're in book seven now. People keep comparing this to book five. It's not. It's book seven. I mean, we have somebody who is essentially pro-genocide and so what, what we need to do is really act as a Dumbledore's army. I mean, I don't know if we're at book seven yet. We're somewhere between Fudge and Voldemort. I don't know. But, I mean, we're not sure. I don't know if there's horcruxes. <laughs> but the, but the point is we, we need to build a big rebellion totally of fans. I get fandom. it, though, right? Yeah. Like, I don't speak Potter, but, like, I get it anyway because we have our own equivalents in the comics world. You know, like, people have been talking about right now how, like, right now we're in Empire Strikes Back and, like, we have to get mm-hmm. to Return of the Jedi um, mm-hmm. I should have thought of a I, I should have thought of a better comics metaphor right now. Oh, comics were totally dark rain. Norman Osborn is in charge. This is dark rain. Okay, yeah, yeah, we're in dark rain. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, we have like, well, he is like uh, the glor- glorious Godfrey from um, in the uh, in Jack Kirby's Fourth World comics. Like he like even looks like him. But um, well, like, he definitely we, looks like a supervillain in wow. a comic. It's it's a little weird. <laughs> it really is uncanny. Well, there's that the meme going even, around I mean, about Mike Pence looking like the guy. Uh, I can't think of the character's name. That's always Stryker. trying to legislate. Striker, yeah, who's always yeah, trying to legislate like, the X Men. No, that's well, what's what, what's, right? what's, like, that's the thing. Like oh, Striker looks yeah. like looks like Mike Pence because they both are avatars of angry old white men. And they are condemning you for being different. Like, that's what each one of them does. And the whole, like, striker condemning Nightcrawler where he says, like, look at this thing. He's not even human. Like, that's, like, right now we have Nazis having 
uh, uh, a conference in like a glamorous venue in DC where they're asking like, are Jews human? Right. So like we're watching actual X-Men villainy being enacted by people who view themselves as the protagonist. Can, um, can you need to pause for a second, Alana, because you're Jewish sure. and I'm Jewish and, and I, Brett's Jewish, like my, we're all Jewish. Oh, okay. Well, okay. All right. There, there, there's not that much of a surprise, but like, but I, but I, I guess, I guess Wait, like, it's really, if we're together, <laughs> it's, do we have yeah. a minion? Do we have a minion? I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I you know, I, I kind of grew up with this, you know, when, when you're Jewish, you're in this really weird position um, because it, when you're Jewish in the U.S., in the cosmopolitan area of the U.S., I should say, mm-hmm. you're in this yeah. uh, very unique position of being white, but constantly being taught about how your people have been the othered, have been othered, and you're, you kind of are a little other, like you're a little bit out mm-hmm. of the, the white, but you basically pass, so it's like you get all the privilege with a little bit more um, flavor, uh, if you will. But uh, um, so and there's a lot of self-deprecation and there's the whole Mel Brooks, like springtime for Hitler. So we make jokes mm-hmm. um, uh, in order to defeat the enemy. So, you know, when you when you say things like, are Jews human? I think of that as such an ironic question that's so archaic to me that I'm like, I don't know. Are Jews human? I mean, I don't know. Look at them, right? <laughs> like, that's a genuine, that's a genuine question a that yeah. some ass yeah. fuck is making. I'm like, what, are you kidding me? Are you like out of some kind of weird thing that I read about in Hebrew school where we're like, I mean, like, this is the weird, I, I don't even understand what this, ah. Yeah, Jesus. I know, I know. Speaking I know, of Jewish. Yeah, but like, yeah, we like didn't expect ourselves. We did not expect ourselves to be having this moment and having this conversation here. I mean, like I, I, you know, we've been very concerned about government's covert list making of Muslims in America for a long time, and been really worried about what the fuck was going to happen with that. But I didn't really foresee necessarily like the rapid rise of popularity of like anti-Semitism amongst powerful people in this country. Um, I, I felt a lot of it growing up, but I also grew up in a really fucking racist area. So, uh, yeah, Brett has, Brett, Brett has different stories than you or I. I have a very different experience. Mm. <laughs> Raphael, where did you grow up, if you don't mind me asking? So, I grew up in Queens. So in Queens, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I grew yeah, up no, in Trump yeah. Tower. I mean, it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs>
who are very at risk right now don't have, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm really worried about what exactly is going to happen to people who I know from my own life who are undocumented. I'm worried about, mm. like, am I going to wake up in my neighborhood in, like, a year from now and, like, nobody will be at home anymore. Everybody will be gone. It'll be decimated. Mm. Um, but, like, whatever. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. Having a Jewish moment here. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Like, Boy, I believe is the yeah. proper ending of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, like you know, we've represented Chris Claremont, incidentally Jewish. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that like there's all of these. Uh, I, I I I kind of chimed in while you were going through the metaphor, Andrew, um, comparing our current situation to where in the storyline of the Harry Potter books we are. Um, but you guys are doing some really interesting cultural work now um, to engage fandoms, other fandoms, and, um, but yeah, I do think that, like, talking about, well, there was that meme that was, not, there was like, a message that was going around recently, like, somebody was basically condemning the use of popular culture to analyze the current state of politics, and I remember hmm. Andrew and I were both belly aching about this, because we were like, like, nobody was saying that, like, making, you know, a Harry Potter meme is the solution to preventing fascism, but the Harry Potter meme could help somebody understand what is happening and like comprehend it in ways that they would not be able to understand otherwise, but to bring people into that conversation. Like art is how we understand the world. We're not saying that like mm-hmm. making memes is like the solution to the world. It's it's a piece of the communication strategy and it's a piece of the spiritual work that we're doing to connect with one another. Um so, yeah, I need to see people in the streets and I need to see people calling their congress members and I need to see people doing, like, putting themselves on the line to prevent the deportation of their neighbors. Um, but mm. cultural work is also how we how we position ourselves in the role of heroes. And for one thing, it is very important. So, anyway, sorry, you were, you were, you were kind of talking about that at that point. Well, yeah, I mean, I, uh, I mean, just, I kind of want to, like, you know, plus one to everything you just said or um, and add that uh, you know we're in a very intense moment, and um, I mean you mentioned spiritual um, and and myth mythology is spiritual. I mean it's it's it's, it's not the same thing as religion, um, but religion is spiritual for those who who make it spiritual. And you do organizing in religion it's based off of stories, and it it hits multiple parts of you. Now, fan communities should not be taking place uh, of religion in fact a lot of uh churches i know and synagogues and 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 mosques uh use um popular culture as a way to engage uh their kids and teenagers for where they're at um but but one of the things we see in a spiritual process is um contraction and expansion and we've seen a lot of expansion um in the last hundred years um in terms of uh western patriarchal culture uh facing um, uh, plural, a pluralistic society. You know, the United States, what makes the United States exceptional is not military power. Everyone could have military power if they're on top. It is, it is that we are like the high school reunion for humanity. But now a lot of other parts of the world are becoming <laughs> that too. But it's like, yo, what have you been up to the last 10,000 years? Like, let's talk about it. And that's difficult, and that's, that's hard. And it's hard work, and it's expansive. But with every expansion, there's a contraction. And we've seen that contraction time and time again. 
every time in any process of recovery, um, you know, with, with drug addiction, with any addiction, um, a person normally takes five steps forward and then takes ten steps back. And sometimes that relapse can go on and they can hit bottom and they could die. Or it could also wake them up to getting clean and to finding a way outside of, uh, you know, going through those 12 steps again and again and again. And that's where we're at, I think, is we've really contracted just now. And it's not like we've just contracted suddenly. Donald Trump has been in the consciousness of the U.S. for so long that it feels really weird. I feel like I'm, we're stuck in 1985. We're stuck in Back to the Future <laughs> 2 now, right? Because he is literally the inspiration for Biff Tannen, and we are in the bad alternative timeline where Biff takes over Hill Valley. Um, and I want to just, like, get into, like, a fucking DeLorean and, like, tell <laughs> Obama in 2011 at the correspondence dinner, don't make those jokes about him. It won't end well. But yeah. maybe, maybe after all of this time suffering... Time travel doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, maybe, I, so, maybe some... I had this moment. I was like, I guess time travel never happens. And like, this was my moment. Or, or maybe it, maybe it does. And we're, or maybe it's a multiverse and we just ended up in the shitty, uh, uh, <laughs> the, like timeline here. But like, but, but we're, I, but I think that future past. <laughs> right. But, but the thing is, is that this is always the case in mythology. I mean, there's always a, that, that sort of darkness rising, and you're like, why do I have to live at these times? And there's always going to be that Gandalf that's like, buck up! You know, like, it's not a matter of, I don't remember the quote. You guys know the quote. Like, you know, you don't choose the time you... You know what I'm talking about, that quote from Gandalf? I'm the burden? I, I, I'm All right, whatever. Bad, okay, so, so, Lord so, the so there's something with Lord of the Rings. None of you guys are good at Lord of the Rings. We are a fear <laughs> I, I know of it. I, I don't know the exact quote. I've heard of Lord of the Rings. I've heard of it. Brett's not into the fantasy. He's into the sci-fi. I don't really know my Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Okay. So, so just to just to kind of to complete the circle here in this question is, um, imagine better does not really. I mean, it's currently being fiscally sponsored um, by other organizations, but it is a partner to the Harry Potter Alliance now, um, and in a lot of ways, that's been quite a journey for me um, to be fully away from the organization that I started 11 years after. Right? Like that's 11. That's like I get to go to Hogwarts, even though Harry Potter Alliance was my Hogwarts. Now there's like a new Hogwarts for me, which is essentially um, multiple things. And there's a big plan for Imagine Better to work on rituals. Um, Joseph Campbell reminds us that rituals are where we live in the myth. And we we have a lot of rituals that are a bit vacuous um, in our society that we can enliven. But not to speak to that and instead to speak to this notion that Rogue One is coming out in just a few weeks. And this is about the birth of the Rebel Alliance against the Empire and even the Star Wars writers have, have, have uh, you know, subtly talked, you know, shit about Trump. And there's a kind of a comparison to him as the emperor, which ties over to um, Hamilton. And in Hamilton, how we witness um, America as a great unfinished symphony, to quote Hamilton, where we have an empire that we overthrow. But given that Lin-Manuel Miranda, who's done so many interesting things in his take on Hamilton says by the end that it's a great unfinished symphony. It's, it's saying what we, what we don't remember sometimes, which is that the great lie of the Soviet Union was that the revolution continued after the Tsar was overthrown. That's not true. The revolution ended yeah. when the Tsar was overthrown. The great lie mm-hmm. of the American Revolution is that it ended when the British were overthrown. That's also not true. We have never stopped 
July 4th, 1776 was the opening salvo, and we are currently writing the notes in that great unfinished symphony mm. and continuing to work for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, not only for cisgender white land-owning men, but for all humanity and respecting this earth and respecting, um, respecting this country, respecting indigenous people, if that's possible, given that we've stolen the land, but recognizing what's been done and figuring out how we can move to a, a paradigm of renewable energy, all that stuff. Point being is that when Trump attacked Hamilton uh, this weekend and people said this is a distraction, the distraction had already happened. So we have to play this game now of, okay, Steve Bannon – is trolling Broadway. He's trolling us. They, they want to use this, 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 this bullshit story about Trump fighting Hamilton as a way to distract us from Trump University and from um, uh, Trump taking bribes, conflict essentially. For, yeah, 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 conflict of interest and, and the, the, this incredibly bizarre right-wing cabinet. And, so, and just to, to focus on Hamilton. But the beauty here is that, okay, let's focus on Hamilton because this is a pro-immigration musical you know, immigrants, we get the job done. America, you great unfinished symphony, a place where even orphan immigrants can leave their fingerprints and rise up. So we're going to rise up. And so I started uh, just now on Facebook a group called the Hamilton Alliance. So I'm now running the Harry – I started the Harry Potter Alliance. I've got the Rebel Alliance. We've got the Harry Potter Alliance. <laughs> it's a whole lot of alliances because we're the allied forces, right, fighting fucking fascism. And, 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 that, and we won there, so we're going to win here. I hope, or we don't. And if we don't, well, we call it a day. We fought a good fight, and everybody's dead. But let's, let's not have that happen. So the, the Hamilton mm-hmm. Alliance, it's been very crazy and surreal because I just posted this, and this notion of cultural acupuncture, reading where the energy is, um, people just started flocking. And then out of nowhere, my brother is showing me Black Mirror for the first time, and I'm like, what the hell is this? And then I look at Facebook, and there's hundreds of requests to join the Hamilton Alliance. And I can't figure out how that happened, and it's because Mark Ruffalo, the great, incredible activist Mark Ruffalo, who in his spare time is a brilliant actor, um, uh, <laughs> posted about the, the, the Rebel Alliance. And, um, and now we have, uh, you know, I just hit refresh, and there's, there's more requests coming in, um, which now bring, I just want to hit approve, and that brings us to, I mean, we just started this this morning. Um, and yeah. uh, now we are at... Um, Hitting refresh here. We are at uh, 1,037, uh, 1,087 members. And that's just like you that's just, just like one just right away, right away. And so imagine memes, yes, but let's, let's bring together hip-hop organizations, slam poetry organizations, and take the issues and focus on those issues and have slam poetry contests and have them across cities and rural areas across the country where we're really going to rise up. Now, is that going to change the policies? Not immediately, but after 2004, everyone learned this incredible lesson. The lesson was stay away from marriage equality because that's a toxic issue. Bullshit. That was the wrong lesson to walk away with. We still we stood by marriage equality. We didn't listen to those people, and now we're hearing, oh, we got to listen to these racist white people. We got to we got to kowtow to them. Okay, well, I think we should have better outreach, and thank God the Working Families Party does. But mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean we, we we have to sacrifice our values. Not at all. That's not the lesson. We won this election first of all. It was weird math that made us lose it. But secondly. Um, and if we, you know, uh, this is an opportunity for us to rise up on the issues we care about, to retake the Democratic Party, but, but, but in addition, to retake the culture and to really take a stand, because mm. now we're staring patriarchy clearly in the eyes in a way that is, you know, 
if the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist, Donald Trump, as the devil, just gave it away. He told everybody, actually, racism does exist. All of these underlying issues, they're all out in the open. So what's inspiring uh-huh. and terrifying about this moment, and absolutely terrifying, I don't want to downplay that, is that we can now face what already has existed. And it might get worse before mm-hmm. it gets better, but it's going to get better if we make it better. So it's exciting to watch people flock into myth and into fandom in a way that we're circling back to our world and we're going to take the energy of Hamilton, the energy of Star Wars, the energy of the Hunger Games. We had a campaign around that, and, and now, now the government really is the capital um, yeah. of the Hunger Games. Now mm-hmm. Donald Trump really is you – know, our president really is President Snow. Um, you know, the corporations and the government have fully merged together now. Like we, we've talked about it being true, but now which it's like really true. Which is Mussolini's definition of fascism, was the unity right. of the corporation and the government. But we do have to avoid – well, we do, I, I'll stop. I just wanted to say that we, we, do, we do have to avoid jumping on, you know, this uh, – how, how do you pronounce his name? Berlus, Berlus, uh, Berlusconi. 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 Yeah, we have to avoid. I mean, Italians are warning us: don't jump on every personality thing he does, uh, that Trump does, because that's what they did, and it ended up inflating him. Like, focus on the issues, right. focus on how it's affecting people. Um, so, our focus with you know, he's not qualified was not necessarily the right path, but it also is the right path. And now we're in a sense that we're no longer in a so it's like it's a paradox. On the one hand, we can't get totally distracted um, by each and every offensive thing he does and says we have to focus on the policies on the other hand we're no longer in a zero-sum game which is an election we're now back to movement building which is where i think the four of us on this call and many people that are listening we've really major in this is our moment to really build movements what's what's powerful about that is uh we still do need like like at wfp we've we've uh led with issues on in in our outreach and sometimes that does better, sometimes it doesn't. Often it actually doesn't. And, and w- with Bernie and other people, we do learn that there's something about that human connection, that personality, those, even the quirks about Bernie and, you know, how he looks like a professor that's always late or <laughs> holding his face, always dropping papers <laughs> or whatever. Like the, all of those kind of things are super powerful, but we don't have to look at uh, Trump for that. We could look at each other and kind of find these new heroes. Like in New York, for example, like, after after Trump, everything didn't just change. Like you said, we kind of just turn on the light. Uh, and But all of the progress and all of the stuff we've made prior to that and also winning the majority of Americans didn't just disappear overnight. So they're still there. So prior to Trump, for example, in just New York alone, which is our biggest state, we ran uh, – we, we found our own uh, candidates to, to like – to kind of nurture and bring up from like very small offices so that one day we can find like a true regular person to be like a governor or a senator and, and develop them. And it's called the pipeline. And we had, which were, you know, there's better words. We're going to think of for that ever since. I know. Day. There's but, a pipeline. It's a good point. Right. But yeah. And, saw, uh, yeah. but, but we had a hundred, 111 people that we took from like teachers, janitors, food service workers, house, housekeepers, uh, soccer moms, people, and they ran, and 71 of them won local offices, mm. and and framing them as heroes, bringing up their quirks rather than like Donald Trump's or or others is going to be really powerful, and like building that myth around them and showing 
their origin stories, you know, is, is super powerful and working with people. People are reacting to that. They're excited about it, and now they need it more than ever. Yeah, you guys um, had some really cute uh, X-Men-influenced graphics for the local candidates. And as someone whose background is in working in local elections, it's really hard to get people to pay attention to these really important – Brett's background as well – it's really hard to get people to pay attention mm-hmm. to these essential local races. Like the states, if we can win back the state governments, we can prevent mm-hmm. a constitutional convention, which we need to prevent because mm-hmm. if there's a constitutional convention, the Republicans will end – birthright citizenship, meaning the fact that right now if you're born in America, you're an American citizen, if Republicans hold another constitutional convention, which they can do if they hold the majority of state legislatures, or maybe it's two-thirds mm-hmm. of state legislatures, somebody help me out here, um, they will call two-thirds. a constitutional convention, and they will, yeah. and they will end, and, and they will end uh, birthright citizenship, which would be the end of America. So we definitely need to get people to pay attention to local races, you know, certainly in cities like New York and L.A., where we have more progressive leadership, we're more able to protect everyone in our community uh, by refusing to go along with Trump's policies. But as I said, it's hard to get people to pay attention to those races. So what I really loved was that Working Families Party did these like very X-Men themed, superhero themed email blasts. Uh, Brett actually did a little post about one of them on our site, um, really showing these local candidates as like working working class heroes, like everyday heroes, um, and putting them in that context and definitely getting attention for local candidates I would not have noticed any other way. Yeah, and that's like, it's, it's working. It's bringing people out, uh, activating people. And, and also, like, when we stop and we tell someone, like, well, how, why don't you run for office? Like, they're just paused, and, like, they never even thought of that. Uh, mm-hmm. And having, having neighbors or telling the story of, of, of others who have is, 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 is empowering. And also, also... It, we don't have to wait four years. We don't have to even wait a week to, to be active because right now the first thing we can do is when we do gobble up even counties, like Westchester County itself is now trying to organize itself as just a county, as a sanctuary county for people where no ICE, no ICE agents, no, no federal agents would be cooperated with and immigrants can, can be here, be there freely without any, any kind of, uh, enforcement of anything that Donald Trump puts for, and then you can hear what stuff from De Blasio, Mayor De Blasio. This is very important. <laughs> That's right. So the what you're home of the, the home of the X Men is organizing itself <laughs> to protect <laughs> to protect everyone in the community as a whole. Wait, I'm not I'm am not good enough on X Men. X Men are are I'm this pathetic. They're from where? West They're West West County. County. New York. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. X Mansion is located in Westchester County. I mean, that and is every so, version wow. of it after it explodes. <laughs> that is abs- That's incredible. That is incredible. Yeah, I've always wanted and to know if they actually even have a mayor. You have the mayor. Sorry, you have the mayor of New York City and the governor who are comp- completely at odds, like finding common ground on the sanctuary business. Uh, finding coming around, and, you, and we have WFP now. We're actually kind of like threatening people who are going to to go caucus and cut deals for themselves with Republicans in New York. Like this is like every week, everything counts. Everything we do right now counts. It's not going to be a waiting period of like four years to Trump. There's there's elections in two years. There's there's uh, small elections all the time. Uh, there's a lot of work to be done. 
Yeah, I feel like I feel like we that's a great example of how we just hit fast forward in everything. You know, we 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 normally are fighting racism, but we just hit fast forward in that. We're normally fighting xenophobia, but we just hit fast forward. And you know, democracy, we always we, most of us say it's not a spectator sport. It happens every day, every moment. Well, that just hit fast forward, and we have to understand that every moment right now counts. So yeah, I mean. This notion that Democrats can continue to cut deals with Republicans in New York should have stopped a long time ago. I mean, given that the Republican Party is, is nihilistic, and mm-hmm. if they don't want to be nihilistic, they can, they can change and we can cut deals. That's fine, <laughs> but this is not, that's, not, that's not the game we're playing. So that should have stopped a long time ago, but it stops now because now you're associating with a party that has endorsed somebody who is proud of their sexual abuse from as, as, as a human being, proud of, of ideas that have made Anne Frank's sister, stepsister compare him to, to Hitler. I mean, this is, and, and, and some people say that comparison is not going to win over Trump supporters. We have to win over our own base as well to understand that we're not it's it's got to you know got to chew gum and walk at the same time, um, and and not demonize Trump supporters, but certainly anyone who's going to represent we the people cannot be associating themselves with a brand that is so toxic to everything that is human, and on the note of human, you know I just want to um, extend my condolences to you guys, you know for for uh, for your loss of Scott, and I think it's so important at this time that we hold each other in every way, not only politically, but heartfully. And remember that when we lose people, they, they continue to move through us, um, but we must be authentically organized in community that recognizes that, 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 that is real and, and deep and, and caring and opens to our vulnerability, opens to our right to be human. And when we do that, we're sparking off a kind of movement that is so deep and so powerful that change is going to come in our direction because we are the authentic article then. And, but we must go yeah. for that authenticity. So in the spirit of mm-hmm. that, I'm very sorry that you've lost such a treasured uh, and cherished person in your community. Thank you. Thank you. Yep, thank you. I, I mean, ugh. um, oh, yeah. So right now, like thinking about the, um, I thinking about uh, the Westchester, Westchester being a sanctuary county within a sanctuary state. Does the Working Families Party like? Do you guys need an artist to do like an X Men themed here to stay? You know, sanctuary county sort of a illustration. We our, my first call here is going to be to take Ilana's idea and connection she immediately made for us. <laughs> and, and let's make it happen. Let's make it happen because that didn't even occur to me. And even though I actually made a Westchester analogy during elections where we had, we, 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 we put up like X-Men and said, come out and vote because, you know, the, the X-Men will probably vote for WFP candidates and, and that, uh, which was first Bernie and then Hillary because of Trump and uh, many other good reasons. Uh, but uh I didn't even make that connection, and now I'm kind of really excited to tell that group who's organizing that, like what we have in store for them. <laughs> Can we trade out a call for you? I'll do. I'll do one right now. Yeah, do it. Do <laughs> we'll it. do it. <laughs> Hello. 
I'll tweet it out in a second while so, you guys talk. This is the sort of thing I'm hoping that our listeners will get out of the show. Like, we have ways. Like, I do need you guys to join me in the streets at protests, and I do need you guys to be standing with us when we're doing, you know, local elections, when when we're trying to, like, actually prevent deportations, um, when it comes to helping your neighbors if they need someone to walk them to school, if they need someone to walk them to work because of harassment. But we also we have specific talents and skills as creatives, and we need you guys to help us uh, really build a visual language for um, helping people view the reality that they're living in more accurately and more vividly, is how I would put it. And fans, fans are organizers, like mm-hmm. Star Trek fandom, for example. Like that, they organized what they brought back Star Trek for one thing. Um, you know, fans already organize and see change in their in the, the industries in which they are targeting. Um, this is something we've begun to see in the comics world as well. So fans, we already organize with each other, and we can be using these fan networks to do a lot more uh, than we have even before. There's a comics-affiliated some organizing work that uh, is not quite public yet, but we'll get to talk about pretty soon, and I'm looking forward to... Um, to being able to blow that up right now. But yeah, comics communities, geek communities, like we are, we know each other. We're networked. We have connections with each other. We have a lot of shared values and we can be plugging those towards the cause of fighting Trump. That is the most important thing in our lives right now um, because everything could absolutely go to shit in every way around us if we don't stand together and get a greater commitment from ourselves to change the world than we have ever felt before. Damn straight. Well said. It kind of Thank it kind you. of sucks that it's 11 p.m. because now I'm all energized to do like 20 hours of something, and, <laughs> and then everyone's asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, before before we do end, I just want to make sure it, uh, this thing keeps blowing up. It's exciting, Hamilton Alliance, and um, it'll direct you to the Facebook group if you want to go to it. It's uh, the Hamilton Alliance. Us. And it'll direct you to that to to sign up. Excellent, yeah. Because I definitely think that the Hamilton fandom like really resents having been trolled essentially by by um, by Pence, and really wants. And I, I, by the way, I think people were right to boo. I think it is it is too much to ask of people to encounter Pence and not boo. But oh, we, but yeah. we can't allow that to, exactly right. Like he must be booed everywhere he goes, but. Um, but we can't let that become the entire news story because you're right. They're using it to distract from the press coverage around the $25 million Trump was just fined for ripping off his students. So I, I love how charged the Hamilton fandom is right now. And I am excited to seeing what amazing organizing work comes out of the Hamilton fans now. I, I mean, it's, it's, this is a musical that has taken the world by storm. It's, it's a, uh gotten Harriet Tubman to be bumping a genocide heir, Andrew Jackson, off of the face of the $20 bill uh, and keeping it because true. people didn't want to get rid of Alexander Hamilton. We, that, is, that is because of the enthusiasm of Hamilton fans um, and, and uh, a number of other uh, people that were working as well in, in activism around money. But the, but, but the point is that this fandom has already done incredible 
things and and what it can do now in, in order to protect the very democracy that it is celebrating, that it is reclaiming by, by making all of the founders people of color and King George being played by a white dude. Like this is, this is a moment um, to really uh, reclaim. Um, you know, I, was, I was talking to, um, to a friend who's African-American and she was saying, like, you know, this is my country. This is my country because my ancestors were part of the, 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 you know, the, the thousands and thousands of slaves who made this country an economic superpower. Mm-hmm. It's mine. Yes. It's part of me. And mm-hmm. I'm not going to say this is not my country. I'm going to fight for this country. I'm going to fight for the rights of my loved ones. I'm going to, and and that, is, that is the essential thing. This is not this notion that, the, that, you know, that we, we don't like America and we're not the real America. We're the real America. Those of us who are, who are, who are connected to to, to you know, you, you want to be friends of the full rainbow of humanity in every way, shape, and form, including inside of yourself. And if we can do that, um, this we, we, we're the real America, and we're going to yeah. fight for the real America, and with. So tell everybody. Um, we, we I know we got to hear a bit about how to. How, let's guys. Let's hear from each one of you guys. How do you want folks to connect with your organization and with your work? I, um, I know Working Families Party is. What was the website again? One more time, Ross. For creative? Uh, resistance. Excellent. And anybody who wants to, whether they're artists or, or anything, can host a house party. You guys are organizing house parties uh, right now. I just got an email from my mom where she asked me if she should host one, and I said, of course you should. Um, yeah, and, yeah, that's uh, going to be uh, bigger than that, too. Yeah. Uh, even the Westchester group is going to create uh, an event. It's called... Uh, national emergency meetings, and we took our brand out of it, and we replaced it with a comic book drawing that we made of the Statue of Liberty's torch, except she turns her hand into a fist. So the torch is held sideways, so her hand could be a fist, and this is kind of the spirit that we're going forward with. Badass. So folks can also find mm. out about hosting a house, a hosting an event to get your community involved meet up in real life, get people motivated, and find out what's next. And where can folks follow you on Twitter, Raphael? Uh, Raphael Shimanov. Uh, at, uh, that's it. R- um, Raphael and S-H-I-M-U-N-O-V. And folks should definitely go follow Working Families on Instagram, too. So. And, Andrew, uh, which you have, like, a million different social media profiles for these amazing different campaigns and stuff. So throughout where, where people should go to Hamilton Alliance right now on Facebook, right? And where else can folks yeah. follow this work online? Right. So where, I, where my ADD adult brain is most concentrated right now is Hamilton Alliance. So, again, it's T-H-E. So the, the Hamilton Alliance dot us for, you know, U.S. and all of us. So the Hamilton Alliance dot us, and we'll direct you to the Facebook page where we're organizing there. Uh, uh, certainly, if you want to be involved in the Harry Potter Alliance, it's the HPAlliance.org, and all of the resources are there. It's a very sophisticated website that can help you there. Uh, as far as the Rebel Alliance goes, we have a website, um, uh, the USRebelAlliance.org, um, and our social media is on there, so you can sign up to the for the, the Rebel Alliance Facebook group. Um, we are changing the name from the US Rebel Alliance to just the Rebel Alliance. Um, and on Twitter, you can find me at Andrew Slack. Excellent. Thank you guys so much. I'm, I'm really excited, and we'll be definitely be keeping our listeners, giving them tabs on where things are heading. i got to go wake up some people now. 
<laughs> I'll talk to you soon. I'll see. I'll see you. I'll see you soon. I'm sure. Bye. Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you, everybody. Guys. Thank you for joining us. Good night. Good night. So, Brett, um, folks can find Graphic Policy at the usual places, I imagine, can't yeah. they? GraphicPolicy.com. Yes, they can. We haven't changed any of that. Uh, you can find us at well, if you're if you're interested in not just politics but also comics and geekdom and a mixture of the two. You can find us at GraphicPolicy.com. Of course, we're at Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy, keeping it nice and consistent. Uh, for those who listen to the show and want to listen to it again or share it with their friends um, or, yeah, just, you know, to catch it or catch previous episodes, you can uh, find it on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and, of course, we post the episodes on the site. And this particular episode will be up on iTunes and Stitcher in probably a few hours and will be up on SoundCloud tomorrow and then posted to our site in the afternoon. So you can catch it uh, and all there and share it. And please do. We, we appreciate it. And if you're going to iTunes, please rate the show and preferably give it five stars. Uh, but, Lana, where can people find you? I'm Elana, E-L-A-N-A, underscore Brooklyn on Twitter. And... I am a consistent source of information about where rallies are at in New York or when I have anything to do with immigration issues. And um, especially if folks want to get interested in making sure that they are standing with their neighbors regardless of status, um, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, anybody trying to do organizing in New York, I'd love to hear from you too. Yes, and... um... We're going to be fairly vocal about all this going, you know, continuing and over the next year. So uh, we're going to post stuff up, uh, you know, when Working Families does cool things, when Harry Potter Alliance and those various orgs do cool things to uh, to kind of remind you and uh, kind of keep things from the uh, on the geeky perspective. So uh, please check out the site and um, get involved. I think that's the most important thing out of everything. Uh, just sitting back and doing nothing and is not the ideal situation, the things to do. So uh, get out, get off your butt, go actually do something and help make a change. It actually and really you... helps with depression, to be honest. Like, I know that yeah. it felt to me like, a, yeah, after the election, I felt like a lot of my friends who were really dealing with a lot of depression or a lot of folks who didn't really feel like they knew what to do moving forward. And those of us who sort of were doing movement work already, like, I'm terrified, but I'm also, I'm able to move and I'm able to do things. And the fact that I feel like I have some direction towards that is part of why that's possible. So I'm not, I'm like, look, people have to take care of themselves and self-care and all that. But like, I do suggest people, even if you've been having a hard time, like try going to, you know, a, a friendly, easy to manage rally or try going to a local community meeting um, try getting involved in a social place where, where people are supporting each other. And I think when we do that, we feel less helpless. And when we feel less helpless, we feel more hopeful. And when we feel more hopeful, we feel better. So that is my professional psychiatric advice for you. Yes. And you're dealing with other people. And when you actually talk to other people, you tend to feel better. Even yeah. when it's a shitty situation, you still feel a little bit better. So uh, go out, meet people. This is a good thing. It's a good opportunity to go actually meet people, get involved. Um, and you've heard some good examples of how to do that tonight. And the, I would say the other thing is if you are still wondering what you can do, you know, a lot of the professional organizer, I've got some years under me, 
um, you know, hit us up at Graphic Policy. Ask, a, ask uh-huh. us questions. Tweet us questions. We, we're happy to help and uh, uh, point you in the right direction or, uh, you know, help you out with whatever ideas you might have. So uh, please use this as a use, uh, resource. So uh, we're uh-huh. here to help in any way possible. So thank you for listening, though. And hopefully this was educational and maybe a little inspiring. And until next time, uh, you can, of course, catch us on demand. Listen, uh, catch us every day at graphicpolicy.com. And as always, thank you, thank you, thank you. So uh, until, I guess, next week when we're not quite sure what we'll have, but we'll be back next week. Uh, Thanks for listening. I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. Gee, biggie. And defiant. (laughs) Yeah.